Welcome to the You Are Infinitely Loved podcast. I'm Sam. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Koos. We believe that loving yourself is the key to transforming every aspect of your life. And it's our hope that these conversations bring you one step closer towards embracing this truth. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the You Are Infinitely Loved podcast. On today's episode, we are speaking to the incredible Robin Conley Downs. Now, Robin is someone whose work we have admired from afar for a while now, so we were super thrilled that she agreed to come on our podcast. Robin is the founder of Mission Driven Media and education brand Real Food Whole Life and creator of The Feel Good Effect. She has a master's degree in education with an emphasis in behavior change and four years of public policy and health change at the doctoral level. Her work taps into cutting edge science around how people can create and sustain lasting wellness. She combines her professional research background with work as a certified yoga teacher, specializing in mindfulness and self-compassion to share science-based, life-tested, radically simple solutions to help people feel good. And we can certainly attest to that. Robin shared so much practical wisdom in this episode and some really simple steps that you can take to feel better in your life. Robin is also a wife and mother, and she has recently been named one of the most influential women in wellness. And we found out in this episode that Robin has a book coming out. So please stay tuned and keep your eyes peeled for that one. We know you are going to love this episode. Robin's approach resonates so much with the work we do here at You're Infinitely Loved. So we were so happy to be able to talk to her. Now let's get to the episode. So Robin, I was first introduced to your work by Lindsay, actually. Lindsay is Lindsay and Coos are both Portland locals. And Lindsay was like, oh my goodness, you should follow Real Food Whole Life because she's amazing. She's got such great message around wellness and I really feel like you'd like her work. So I'm very lucky that Lindsay introduced me to your work. And one of the things that I love about your work is that you really approach wellness from a gentle space. Like you're very real and you help, you really help simplify the wellness space, which can be full of a lot of overwhelming and contradictory information. And I'm just wondering when you first started in the wellness space, did you, did you always have that approach? Did you always come at it from this gentle space or did you kind of have more of a all nothing perfectionistic um, (laughs) standard, which I know is something, you know, you do talk about perfectionism a lot. So I'm just wondering for you, did it always start with a gentle approach? Yeah, no, it didn't. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The reason that I came to this work is really through my own story of struggling with striving and and stress and feeling stuck and really living in a, a mindset of perfectionism, all or nothing thinking in comparison. And of course, I didn't realize that it was just sort of my status quo and the way that I approached life. And Mm. the thing about perfectionism and all or nothing thinking in comparison is that first of all, our brains seem to actually be wired toward those ways of thinking naturally, and then they get reinforced, right? So I had experienced a lot of success in my life by approaching mom by approaching things that way. Um, but eventually yeah. it really kind of caught up to me and through kind of my own work and research and self-exploration, I've, the first step was just awareness. Like, oh, this is not 
serving me and it's making my life so much harder and less enjoyable. Um, and that kind of led me to the work, but absolutely important to note that I was the queen of all of those things. Like I know them very <laughs> intimately because that was my day-to-day um, experience. Mm. And for our listeners who aren't familiar with your work yet, or who don't know your story, I'd love it if you can share a little bit of your personal story and how, from what I know, you kind of um, created this, this, wellness brand um through your own personal struggles after giving birth to your daughter and and wanting to be healthy and well is that right yeah yeah so it kind of goes back to my early career and i was really focused on studying behavior change so the science which behind how people make and change behavior and um also education so that was the early part of my career and then i eventually added um So that's like the individual level, looking at how people change in their own lives individually. And then eventually I thought, well, I want to also look at this at like a systems level, so policy level, and added a doctoral program and working full time. So I've always been really interested in these concepts and interestingly, wasn't able to see kind of what was happening in my own life. Like it was the action of pursuing all these things that ended up having that detriment in my life. So when I had my daughter, right, I, irony, I couldn't see what yeah. was happening. It took me a long time, kind of embarrassingly long time. But one of the things that happened when I had my daughter, which she's now seven, so a little bit while, a little while ago now, was that when I went back to work, I had this striving mindset where I was just piling everything on. I, I wouldn't slow down. I wouldn't I couldn't be kind to myself. I couldn't give myself a break. And um, so it was the action of going back to school full time and working a 60 hour work week <laughs> that eventually, mm-hmm. not surprising, kind mm-hmm. of gave me that rock bottom moment saying like, what am I even doing? And why am I doing this? And then then like the next thing that happened, which you think, oh, well, I had this light bulb moment and everything changed. But really what I did is I applied that same approach to wellness. So I went all in, right? Like <laughs> I'm going to work out every day for an hour a day and I'm going to meal prep every weekend. And I was actually really successful um, because that kind of thing can work in the short term. Um, so I had a lot of wellness success, but I was still miserable, still hadn't figured out like how to change the internal dialogue and how to create more efficient, effective ways of being in my life. So that was like my second rock bottom. And that was when I finally said like, wait a minute, maybe I should look at the science and the research, not just around neuroscience and psychology and behavior change, but also mindfulness. And like, can I fix this problem for myself, which has then kind of led to everything you guys have seen with the podcast and the website and the book and all that. Robin, it's so interesting. I feel like this is the story over and over again that we're hearing, Um, especially I'm a therapist um, on my day job. And um, I hear this all the time of we can figure it out in our heads and yet we can't actually make it happen. Mm. So I can know all about wellness. I can know all the things about it. And yet my body, my behaviors can change, but the heart behind it is lagging behind. Yeah, that's such great insight. Oh, I love therapists. So, <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Small plug there. <laughs> yes. 
helpful for me to have her as a friend. <laughs> right. <laughs> I feel like, <laughs> yeah. Well, part of that, like you said, is trying to apply. It's like we have a certain set of skills and tools in the toolbox and the whole toolbox is such a cliche, you know, but in this mm-hmm. case, I think it does illustrate that we think we have to figure it out using a certain st- set of strategies. And really, that's a very small set that we're given generally. And when you mm-hmm. open it up and say, there's so many things that you can do here that can make your life more easeful and more calm and more full of joy, then it becomes like a little more obvious. But it, I don't think you can think your way out of it. And so a lot of us who maybe I identify now as someone who's a perfection perfectionist-based thinking, um, that... I was applying that same mindset to wellness and Mm. it wasn't until I said, no, wait, this mindset is not serving me. Regardless of what I apply it to, it's going to end me up in the same spot that everything changed. Yeah. And I think for me, what I love is that you speak to that irony, like the, when the pursuit of wellness becomes unhealthy. And I think there are so many people in the wellness space where, you know, we could look at it from the outside and be like, oh my God, look at these people. They've got all of their, you know, they've got everything together. They're doing it all perfectly. And then that kind of sets off alarm bells for me where I'm like, whoa, that is probably like, (laughs) it might look a little bit unhealthy in their own life Mm -hmm. because that, again, that striving and perfectionist thinking is no matter what it is. And we we see the same. So our podcast is about self-love and we see this with self-love, like the irony of you know, sometimes we can find ourselves beating ourselves up for not being self-loving enough. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, oh, we don't have our self-care rituals. Like we've let them slide. And then and then we criticize ourselves and it's like, oh, my goodness, you are being perfectionistic and kind of <laughs> self-loathing in the practice of self-love. Like it's mm. so. No, that's yeah. such brilliant insight. Like I just, we could stop the interview right here and <laughs> that would just be fine. <laughs> It's it's something that is like so part of my mission right now is to help what you guys are doing, help people understand that if we apply this type of thinking to anything, it will give us the same results, which is we cannot be consistent, like science <laughs> says mm-hmm. that when you try yeah. to do it this way, with this way of thinking, you won't be able to sustain it and mm-hmm. you'll be miserable. And you feel like you're the problem. I'm not trying hard enough. I'm not good enough at self-love. Like I need more discipline to be self-loved. And it's not the self-love is the problem. It's the approach that's broken. And I think we are just, it's really hard because we're so close to it to see. But when you take a step back and you change that approach, self-love just becomes this beautiful way of kind of exploring, trusting yourself. And there's no right or wrong. And you can have bad days and think negative thoughts. And that doesn't mean you're failing (laughs) at it. (laughs) Totally. I will say one of the first times I met Sam, I was just obsessed with her and in awe (laughs) because she just embodies self-love so much. Um, But one time I heard her say something a little like mildly not (laughs) self-loving. And I was like, oh, my God, you you can't do that, Sam. You are self-love queen. And it's been such a funny, I remember that story and just cracks me up every time now because that was definitely my view of if you're going to be self-loving, you can't ever mess up. Oh, I get called out all the time. If anyone hears me (laughs) criticize myself ever, they're like, hang on, 
you can't say that. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's so because self-loving is allowing yourself to say whatever you need to say. (laughs) And then you move on from that. Yeah. It's, it's, I think also it's, it's definitely a Western, a more of a Western like thought pattern. I think that if you go in different places, it's probably um, maybe a little less so in terms of this application, but you know, I think you guys probably saw that the smash the wellness, smash the wellness industry. There's an article in the mm. New York Times a few weeks ago, and the woman was writing kind of about how how she couldn't the, the all the problems with the wellness industry and how she could never even imagine loving herself. And what I saw in that article was the same thing that we're talking about, which is she felt like that if she was going to be self-loving, it had to be perfect. And therefore it felt oppressive to her. Yeah. And so I always encourage people, if it starts to feel oppressive, if it starts to feel like a set of impossible standards, it's not necessarily the problem with the thing. It's probably an approach that you can change um, Uh, and have a different experience in the, not the pursuit, but in the process of finding that thing that you're looking for. Yeah. I feel like I will be learning a lot from this podcast. I am a, I don't know if I, I will call myself a recovering perfectionist. <laughs> or still <laughs> or st- on the path of recovery. Yeah, on the path of recovery. Because I, I know that I am I struggle a lot with being very self-loving in my wellness journey. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember, I think it was last summer, in my head, I was like, okay, I'm going to be a runner mm-hmm. and I would run almost every day because I was like, it's all or nothing. Right. I'm going to run every day. I'm going, okay, today it's three miles tomorrow, five miles, bring it on. <laughs> the next day, let's run up to Mount Tabor. Right. And a couple months later, I hurt myself. And then I just said, Oh, I guess I can't do it. I'm not going to do it anymore. <laughs> so that was my all or nothing approach. And I felt like it's, really not healthy. Well, I just know, I always tell people the first step is noticing and in as non-judgmental way as possible, but that you start to be able to identify that that's the way your brain is working. And I even go so far as to say, like, I don't even need to label anyone as a perfectionist. It's just a pattern, a thought pattern that leads you to a set of actions and then a result. So it's not who you are and it's something that can be rewired, but first step is noticing. So Noticing yeah. when you might be approaching somebody something with a set of impossible standards or noticing when you try to do something and go all in or notice when comparison is like driving the boat and then start, you know, cultivating alternative mm-hmm. ways. And eventually, like the amazing thing from a neuroscience level is that your brain can rewire and have a different experience. But the first thing is just saying like, yep. That's happening. <laughs> oh, there's perfectionist thinking, or there's all or nothing thinking, and yeah. it's not a good or bad. It's just, mm-hmm. oh, that's that's not the only way I have to be, but that's what's coming up right now. Yeah. So for our listeners who either might be in like having a perfectionist approach to certain areas of their life right now, if the first step is noticing, to your point, what are the I guess, alternative approaches. I know one of the reasons why we really wanted you to be on this podcast is that you talk a lot about self-compassion. And and I was just wondering, you know, what are some, I guess, practical ways that, that you practice self-compassion or that our listeners can, like, what are the alternative approaches to 
yeah, perfectionistic thinking or all or nothing thinking. Yeah. So that's what I like to call the striving mindset is the perfectionism all or nothing thinking in comparison. And then the antidote is the feel good mindset. So mm-hmm. for, for perfectionism, self-compassion and, um, and then I'll, there, there's the other two, which I can talk about too. But for self-compassion, for all of these, step one is notice. So just notice when those thoughts are coming up. And Kuz, you mentioned that you notice that. And that can actually be really hard when you realize how hard you are on yourself. And then what's the first thing that you want to do? Start beating yourself up for being so hard on yourself, right? <laughs> and so instead of that, it's just noticing. And then there's a lot of different practices that you can implement to start to rewire towards self-compassion. Excuse me, a couple of things I do is sometimes I'll just look at my day and think where are little places that I can add self, self-kindness self into my day. Mm. Um, and I know that it's like this whole conversation about what's self-care and what's, what's self-kindness, but for it's, just, it's my own definition. So it's how am I showing my self-care in my day? And that mm. might be if I'm really tired – it might be taking a five-minute break away from screens to have a cup of tea. Or it might be taking a walk with my partner because I really just need to talk. Um, mm. Or it might be telling my partner, I need some alone time <laughs> because I don't need to talk to anybody. <laughs> um, and I think you start to build that self-trust loop when you show yourself that you can trust yourself to be kind, that you don't always have to push, mm. right? Or that running example, mm. it might be, Showing yourself kindness by um, running five minutes and then taking a day off because your body really needs needs that time off. Um, and then another of my favorites is it's just a really simple kind of um, it's it comes from Dr. Kristen Neff who who is also a self compassion researcher and it's oh, we're just, obsessed her. Okay, yes. <laughs> Tell us all the things, Dr. Neff. Yeah, so I borrowed this, you know, and, and it's a very much from her that I kind of adapted to be a little, like for me, it's all about practicality. So it's in the moments where I feel that the bullying coming up, self-bullying or moments of impossible standards, and it's actually placing a hand, it can be on your heart, if that feels too mm. woo for you, it can be anywhere. Physical touch, though, has been self Physical touch has been shown to trigger compassion for self. And it's actually saying to myself, what do I need right now? Mm. Yeah. I love that. And when you allow like space, yeah, you might be surprised. Like you are very wise and it's allow when you create that space, your body starts to know and you start to know, I can trust you. So you might not always be able to do it, but it's that loop of like, what do I need right now? And that physical touch. So those are two really actionable things that you could do right now, starting this week, totally free um, to start practicing self-compassion. I love that because I think, again, maybe it is linked to that um, perfectionist, impossible standards is that we we want so much there to be like this answer of like, here are the, here are the steps that you can follow to be more mm-hmm. self-loving or self-compassionate. And part of it is just acknowledging and why I love your work and what you just ex- described there is it's really about you tuning into yourself and trusting that you know what is kind for you in the moment. And you know, and that's why I love that you called it, you know, like feel good, like you know what feels good. And mm-hmm. if that's your metric, then and you trust yourself to do what feels good for you in the moment and what feels kind, 
then the wisdom is in you and and we don't need to give you like a textbook prescription for step one, have a cup of tea. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and if you two, are somebody <laughs> <laughs> and if you're somebody that likes that prescriptive like step, 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 you can put this more into a program or a plan. Mm-hmm. Like I'm gonna practice this for more days than not over the next 30 days. Because the great amazing thing about all of this is it, it's it's science-based. Like you actually can rewire your brain. And I like Mm -hmm. to say that over and over because I think for people who are skeptics or maybe less, you know, (laughs) less familiar with this kind with like mindfulness practices, for example, it it seems a little bit soft and it's not. There's a ton of of efficacy Mm -hmm. around this kind of um, these interventions, but also you change your brain. And so it's with that intentional practice that you you experience the word world differently. So, and oh, I thought of one more too. I think when it comes to, if you're really just kind of beating yourself up, and this is one I think that's more common, is just to ask yourself out loud or written down, what would I say to a loved one? Mm-hmm. And say that to yourself or write it down. Mm-hmm. And over time, you become better at having that response directly. But I find that for many people, it's easier to imagine talking to a child or even a pet <laughs> and then saying like, well, maybe I can practice that kind of self-talk for yeah. myself right now. I love Oops. that. One of the, um, I'm lucky enough in, in the work that I do, I actually am based normally in, in Phuket in Thailand. And each week I give a talk on self-love and my first and most simple tool is actually for people to change the screensaver on their mobile phone to a photo of themselves under five for that very Mm. reason because I think when you're constantly looking at that phone and seeing yourself reflected as this you know beautiful young innocent child that you would only ever talk to in a kind and loving way it becomes easier to as you say to remember in that moment how would I speak to a loved one or how would I speak to a child and Mm -hmm. to apply that kind of gentle those gentle words of comfort and the thing about gentle is that we also have a perception that that is going to make us give up on our goals or yeah oh my gosh right and the interesting thing is like there's so much research that that opposite is true so it's not just me and lala land talking about gentle blah 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 like it's (laughs) actually way more linked with success with reaching goals with consistency than almost anything else like it's almost criminal criminal that we're not teaching it to kids like in a systematic way through school because it's so linked with results. So if you're a results-oriented person, I would say like consider this because you're not giving up, you're not going soft, you're just, uh, you have another tool that will actually help you stick with it in the long term, but also enjoy the process a little bit more as well. (laughs) I I love that because I think, and I've heard you speak about this before, is, is so much of the resistance I get to loving yourself or accepting yourself is, well, if I do that, then I'm just lowering my standards and I'm not going to be able to achieve anything. And I think I've heard you speak on your podcast before about this kind of being able to like acceptance of what is and also like allowing room to, to grow and improve. And I think this is something that I've struggled with myself is I think, you know, if I, if I do, get to this place where I'm kind and accepting, does that mean I'm no longer allowed to to want more and to to still want to kind of grow and improve because is is the point meant to be that I just accept who I am now and that and that's it? Like mm. I think that can feel difficult for me. So I don't know if you can speak to that some more because it certainly helped when I heard you speak of it 
on the yes that tension between self-acceptance and self-improvement yes and the thing is that those don't like i think we think that those are opposite that you either have to again that's all or nothing thinking though i hate (laughs) to break it to everybody but it's it doesn't have to be one or the other and so you can approach with a mindset of self-trust and Mm -hmm. accepting that this is the moment because that's just real. Like this is it right now. This is who we are in this moment. But that doesn't mean that you can't um, move toward growth. And actually there's a ton of research that without growth, without um, a feeling of growth, humans are more likely to be depressed, anxious, all of these Mm -hmm. negative effects. So we need to feel like we're growing, but it can come from a place where you're beating yourself up, where you're going all in or out, when you're comparing yourself to everybody else, or that growth can come from a place where you're compassionate, when you find the shades of gray, when you're full of gratitude. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, we only have so much mental energy, right? I think most people listening would agree. You only have so much mental energy. You can use that mental energy to beat yourself up, compare yourself to people, go all in or out. But when you stop doing that, you have so much more mental energy. You can get a lot like if you're a productive-minded person, you can get a lot more done in a way less time because you're not wasting your efforts on something that's not serving you. Absolutely. I notice that, you know, sometimes in my practice, um, I get this all the time. If I start being gentle with myself, I'm going to become this lazy person who gets nothing done. And I always am like, oh my gosh, I need better ways to, to, to talk about this because the reality is, every message we're getting is to um, improve, improve, improve. And there's always someone making a profit off of us feeling bad about ourselves. And so those messages are so forceful. They're so present in our daily life. And the energy it takes to stop, consider, is this actually serving me? Is this helpful to me? Is this healthy? Is this actually how I feel about people? Um, is a lot of work actually. It is. And we don't notice because that's our status quo. And when it's status quo, it seems like the only option. Right. Um, So really it's self-love and being self-compassionate is, is really radical. Yeah, absolutely. It's very radical. (laughs) It's very radical (laughs) in the time that we live in. It's very radical in like a productivity accomplishment based society. Mm -hmm. And, and just to be clear, like, I think this might help some people because I am, I am still incredibly productive. Like I'm not, I have not let that go. And that's, I haven't changed who I am. So maybe sometimes people feel like mm-hmm. by embracing gentle and self-compassion, I must become someone that I'm not. And there's all different ways to, to implement this in your life. It does not require changing yourself or stuffing down your feelings or pretending to be another person. And so for me, you know, in the last year, I um, hesitate to like list my accomplishments because it's annoying, but maybe it helps people. We want to hear it. (laughs) (laughs) Like, you know, I have a top rated podcast. I have, um, I got a book proposal accepted with the biggest English language publisher in the United, in the world, actually. Ah, congratulations. Um, So writing a book, doing the podcast, managing social media, writing content for the website. I'm starting a YouTube channel and I spend most of my time with my family, like enjoying my life. So the only way I could do any of that is with this approach. Like that that was not possible for me six years ago. So I didn't give up anything. I got back a whole lot more. 
Oh, Robin, that is so powerful. And I hope everyone is hearing that, that you're actually maybe more yourself Absolutely. And able to do more of the things that bring joy to you because of this practice. Yeah. Yeah. And the perfect example. So I'm writing the manuscripts due on Friday, actually. And cool. um, <laughs> so no Thank pressure. Thank you for taking the time know, to but, do this. <laughs> but that's the point. So like in the past, taking on a project like this was just all hell breaking loose in my life, right? Like no balance. I would just buy cases of Diet Coke and like haul myself up in the office and forget about working out. And the whole process was very miserable. And like because of the approach and because of the method and all of those things combined, like I have so much, I went for a swim this morning. I have the podcast this afternoon. Like I have all this breathing room to finish on time. And even though the process of writing, that's when it comes up for me because I'll sit down and I'll think, I don't know what to say. I don't have all the pieces. And that's just perfectionism, right? It's not that I don't know what to say. I don't know how to say it exactly right. And I don't like to write a a bad first draft because that feels like it's not good enough. So being Mm -hmm. able to sit in that discomfort of like not knowing how to do it right and not doing it just perfectly the first time and finding a way to do it instead of all or nothing and not looking around at what other people do are doing. That's the only way I was able to get it done. And so for Mm. me, it's like such a, a perfect, a beautiful like circle of saying, not only am I going to write this so other people can learn, but also the only way I could write it is because of this, of this way of this approach and the method. Yeah. One of the things, um, like part of your story that really resonates with me personally, because I have a, a similar story, is um, I guess your story with your uh, own, like personal from the story of towards body acceptance. Um, because for me, my first kind of entry point into self love was through, like, I guess my version of self loathing or beating myself up was very much related to my physical appearance. And I had a lot of body image issues and, um, you know, an eating disorder. And so for me, that's how I kind of entered this world. And then I saw that it was, you know, the basis of everything, the relationship <laughs> that you have with yourself. Um, but I kind of love how you um, share some practical strategies for, I was going to say women, but I guess these days it's women and men um, towards, yeah, building a more accepting relationship with their body. Yeah. So I think the first thing I want to say about that is just, again, broken record, but body acceptance is not a perfect practice and you don't have to be Mm. perfect at it. And for me, it's never going to be perfect because I'm Mm. a human. (laughs) (laughs) Humans are, it's a messy experience to be a human. Um, (laughs) And so once you can, I think that's like the first step is the noticing and the Mm. releasing that grip on perfectionism about body acceptance and knowing that there's going to be days that you are feeling really, really great about it and days that you're not. And that does not mean you're doing it wrong. Again, it just means you're a human. Um, Yeah. And once we get beyond that, so we accept that we move on. Um, I'd say that we've, we talk a lot about gratitude. I feel like gratitude is really a popular subject in, in the consciousness right now, which is wonderful. And I'll say that you could take that a step further and start practicing body gratitude. So body gratitude, again, doesn't mean that you love every possible part of yourself. (laughs) 
<laughs> that yeah. you start to flip the script and find gratitude maybe for ways of more about how it feels than how it looks. So if you're mm. not at the place where you look at your thighs or your belly or your calves or whatever your trigger points are, <laughs> and you're not like, oh, I love this so much, maybe it's just more about today, like I'll do a gratitude practice, like I have gratitude for my breath and I have gratitude mm. for my feet for carrying me where I need to go. And I have gratitude for my hands so I can hold hands with Elle when she gets home from camp. And so it's like that gratitude, again, can rewire your brain and you start to see more of a realistic picture because when you're focusing on just the things you hate, not only is that really, really hard place to be, but it's not real. It's not reality. Like you've uh, not by your fault, but you've created a world where that's the only part of uh, what you see. Right. Yeah. So it's as if you have a flashlight and all you do when you look in the mirror is shine the flashlight on the points that you hate. Yeah. Right? We talk about this in the, like when we talk about um, confirmation bias mm. and that idea that you're essentially, you are just, your brain is looking for things to prove you right and searching for what you already kind of believe. So when you have this, yeah, this version of, of how, what your body is supposed to look like and how you feel in it, it's, it's, you know, you're always going to look for that information and, and prove yourself right. So it can work against you. Right. And imagine looking at that mirror and all you saw says so total blackness. So the only thing you see is the light points on the things you hate. Mm-hmm. And through like a gratitude practice, maybe you have another light that's shining on all the other parts. Mm-hmm. And so as you look in the mirror, you start to get a clearer picture of what's real versus just the very small things that you really don't like. So I think that's one really powerful, actionable thing that someone can do. So it's not even about affirmations. It's just really about body, like specific things that you're grateful for. The smaller, the better. And it does not have to be what you look like. It can just be a function of your body or how you feel when you're with someone you love or how you feel when you read a great book. Like it's creating a, a broader um, sense of what your body is. Um, and then another story I just like to tell, which is after Elle was born, she would, it's kind of a strange thing, I guess, not all kids do this, but she would lift up my shirt when she was really little and say, oh, there's my home for my oh, belly. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> wow. No, it's very sweet. And she would kiss my ho- the home. And the first thing I wanted to do is like sh- pull my shirt down because right. I don't want any, you know, I don't want anyone to see that, especially if we're in public. But the thing that stopped me, of course, is I didn't want her to see that. Right. So I just stand there and let her hug her home and kiss her home. And she still does it. <laughs> she's oh, seven. But for her, it's very – she's a very pragmatic thinker. It's like she lived there. That's my home. And so I was able to start thinking about that as well. Like mm-hmm. this was her home. But even if you haven't you know, given birth to a biological child, like your body is your home simple Mm -hmm. as that and like how do we want to exist in this home and and how do we want our relationship with the home because this is it like we don't get another one one of my friends just yesterday was saying um she was thinking about her mom and she just was going through old family photos with her mom and every time her mom saw a photo of herself she was like oh that's a terrible photo of me put it away (laughs) and my friend told her mom i just so wish you could see yourself the way i see you 
And I think that about, you know, I have kids similar to your kids, um, to your daughter's age. My son's seven, our son, Kusanai, <laughs> he's, he's part of that. Um, <laughs> but my daughter's eight, my son's seven. And I think about the ways um, they have their own little cameras they've been playing around with, and they'll take a photo of me. And my first kind of knee-jerk reaction is like, oh, gosh, the angle that a kid shoots a photo from. I it's mean, low. looking up, it's, it's not the most flattering. I mean, double if I'm lucky, yeah. right? <laughs> and so the the way they respond is, oh, I got a good one. Mm-hmm. And they'll flip the camera around to me and show me. And I'm like, yes, that <laughs> is wonderful. Because if I choose to see myself through my son's eyes, my daughter's eyes, um, that is a beautiful photo of me because it's how they see me. Right. And so that really, that's a, an exercise for me right now of noticing that there is that discomfort when I see it. I'm like, oh gosh, is that's not how I want to be seen in the world. And the same part is true that this is how my child see me and my child loves me so deeply for who I am. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and uh, who's right? You or them? Right. I mean, (laughs) exactly. And how subjective that is, right? But Mm -hmm. the ways in which, you know, um, the ways in which I've been trained to think about what's right or wrong, black or white, and the ways they see, you know, children usually have black and white thinking, but in that way, they don't. They have really beautiful shades of gray and what's beautiful or not beautiful to them because they haven't been trained as we have of what society is saying, this is good, this is bad. Yes, and that and that so many of us, our default mode is to look at a picture and say, "Oh, that's awful." You know that that's something right. we learn to do, and we can also unlearn it. Um, Absolutely. And I another I love this picture example because it's so tactical. Like you could really start implementing this. Another one is, how many times have you looked back at a picture of your life in the past and thought, "Oh my gosh." I look how beautiful or look how fit or look how young. And you remember at the time how hard you are on yourself. My word. Yes. All the time. Yeah. (laughs) Right. And it's, it's profound because you can, I mean, like it's so profound and that's what's happening now. So it's like, I don't really know why um, gratitude and acceptance is so much easier in the past. Like when you look Mm -hmm. back. I haven't mm-hmm. found an answer for that. I've actually tried to find one. <laughs> like, what's going on? Maybe it's just that we're surviving that, right? We've survived that. Maybe we've even thrived through that. And so we're able to have gentleness when we look back and saying, man, that girl 10 years ago was really struggling with a lot of stuff. And she did okay. She was doing better than than I thought she was in the time. Yeah. You know, so that compassion even. Mm-hmm. And releasing perhaps the it. impossible standards because you have a new right. setup. And so you could see (laughs) a person for what they actually were, like you said, like for all the things that they could do. And if, if we could start to just like, maybe even give a few, a fraction of that to ourselves now, you know, what an amazing shift that would be. And that really is just noticing our thoughts and replacing them with ones that we choose to be true. Right. Or even, so one of the things, if people get stuck on this idea of thought replacement, because for some people that works, that's like really helpful. Right. And for some people, they're like, what? Like, <laughs> yes. from just a, like a neurological perspective, like if you think about the connections in your brain, most of us have heard neurons that fire together, wire together. If you think mm-hmm. of thought patterns in that way, like if you think of perfectionism as a thought pattern, and then you think about self-compassion as another thought pattern like it's just really I keep talking about rewiring but it's shifting toward that new connection in your brain so 
you can think about it as replacement or you can think of it as like just a shift like as your brain wires one way it can wire another way mm-hmm. um and so it might take time though it's again it's not a black or white thing where you can just snap your fingers just change your mind replace <laughs> love yourself right? done <laughs> um it might be a little bit more of a process but that You'd be out of a podcast job if that were true. (laughs) Just change your mind. It's fine. (laughs) Right, right. So, you know, there's lots of ways to think about this and finding one that resonates with you will probably help you make that progress that you're looking for. Mm. I'm wondering if you have any kind of ways that you've, you've found helpful for how do people, if they are in a trap of kind of comparing themselves to others all the time and just going down that comparison route, how can we kind of, yeah, I guess um, short circuit that loop or, or stop that kind of comparing going on? Do you have any any ways that have helped you be able to kind of compare yourself less to others? I do. <laughs> and it's actually kind of probably very, very simple, simpler than you think. And it really, again, starts with gratitude. Um, and gratitude that leads to what I like to call radical personalization, because when you know what works for you and you can embrace that, then it doesn't really matter what anyone else is doing. It's when we feel that what we're doing is not enough that comparison has strength and it loses all strength when we're like, no, this works for me. I don't really care what that person's doing. Um, and yeah. I found like through the research and my own experience that one of the ways to find out what works for you is is that is that gratitude like what are the things in my life that bring me the most joy from mm. from my relationships to the way that i have my you know my home set up to my job to all those things it's like what are the things that are me that i mm. appreciate the most and how can i amplify those so that i lean in to my own life yeah i love that um so we just want to say, speaking of gratitude, a huge, huge thank you to you for being with us uh, today, particularly when you have, as you said earlier, a manuscript due. It's, there is nothing more important than you know our time and our energy. So we are really grateful that you have given us some of your time and energy today. And we just feel like your message of wellness, the work that you do in the world, uh, around movement and mindfulness and meals and just treating yourself well is so, so, so powerful and important. So we're just thrilled to be able to share your voice with our listeners. And yeah, we're incredibly grateful that you came on to our podcast today. Oh, well, I will share the gratitude as well. <laughs> so for our listeners, Robin, who want to find out more about the work that you do in the world, where can they find you? Well, they can definitely tune into the Feel Good Effect podcast. It's available anywhere you listen to podcasts. So if you like this one, I think you might like mine too. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm gonna we'll link to it in the show notes. Awesome. As well. And then uh, realfoodwholelife.com where you can find a ton of different resources and then social media at Real Food Whole Life where I practice lots of balance around the that platform and just try to share things that are in line with the conversation that we had today. Thank you so much. We'll put all the links to your work in the show notes so everyone can find your work. Thank you for listening to this episode. Our hope is that each day you feel more connected to the knowledge that you are infinitely loved. If you want to continue this conversation, you can find us at yourinfinitelyloved.com.